You're listening to KBF Morro Bay on 97.3 and KZSR Paso Robles 107.9. Streaming live at centralcoastradio.org. Stampede! Garner isn't number nine. Some people have been complaining about my show, Garner Isn't. What with me saying that in the future, men will be having sex with robots. Now, I'm not one who follows our future map by the motion of the planets, or for that matter, what's produced in Hollywood's sci-fi movies. But I was impressed with a relatively recent movie, Blade Runner 2049. If any of you saw that movie, you might recall Ryan Gosling's character had a transformational sexual scene with a robot or a cyber being. And I might say, by that movie, I didn't draw my conclusions about what's in store sexually for men in the future. No, I've drawn my insight from what's been happening to us now And I think the signposts are pretty clear. Men are different from women, and their sexual needs aren't easily resolved. 
especially if you look at what men have been doing to have sex with women over the millenniums. Many are demanding having sex at night and then get right back up the next day thinking about having it again, if not sooner. Whereas for the opposite sex, that is women, it might not be the same. It might be harder for women to achieve satisfaction like what men do. And let's be honest about this. There are women that have openly expressed their dissatisfaction with the way men conduct themselves. Some women have said they don't need men anymore. It's true in nature. There are certain species capable of impregnating themselves. These animals are asexual and don't need a male to procreate. I can think of one, the whiptail lizard, but I don't want to wander off. I want to stay on message here. Women today are capable of having one of the most important functions in their lives without men, and that's to have a child or procreate. And it's a very important process permitting our species or many other species to survive. So now that women have the technical means of artificial insemination, there have been calls by a number of women claiming there isn't a need to have men in their lives. That thinking actually exists today. And I may be roundly criticized for saying this. I think many of those women are vindictive, revengeful, because of what men have done to women for thousands of years, and even today. Men have always had their way with women, and women are finally able to stand up against men and get what they want without them. Oh, I hear you women out there saying, Garner's show is biased. And I'd be the first to say I could be wrong about this, But there's a lot of evidence, prima facie evidence, that says men will be driven to find love and affection from an artificial intelligence like a sex robot. For you skeptics out there, let me point out some ancient and long-term practices by men. This may seem strange to you women, but men spend a lot of time tinkering with things, objects of all sorts. Men like to pride themselves as being able to repair things, to invent things, and construct things. And you might say women, when growing up, like to play with dolls, and they may very well be proud about running a family dollhouse imagining their skills at feeding their family and friends. As example, Oh, Jane, why don't you come over and have coffee with me? I just made a batch of chocolate chip cookies. That's right. That's what a woman might say to another woman. But men, on the other hand, like to get under the hood and replace those rusted-out spark plugs in their 1959 Chevy. Listen, Billy, you should see the paint job I did at my Impala. 
It's beautiful. And this is what I'm saying. Men will characterize what they build as a gender. She's a beautiful boat. She's a beautiful airplane. She's a beautiful building. I'm sure you get the idea. Men put a gender to the things they build. And to be frank about this, men like to express a love for the things they build. This is important because when it comes to emotions, men will turn their attention, especially their sexual attention, away from women who say they don't need them anymore. Sure, the family squabble can result with a man in the house saying, all right, Bernice, if that's the way you feel about it, I'm getting a beer down at the bar. I'll be back whenever I get back. And then you hear a door slam. Whether you women know it or not, men have very fragile egos, and it's not nice to tell them the thing they've been using between their legs is worthless. And I assume 
That's why men have always identified themselves with the things they build. Secretly, they pound their chests like a gorilla after they build something that women aren't skilled at. Oh, I hear women screaming about that. They claim they can do anything a man can do. But it's pretty clear men are the hunters and women are the gatherers. Men leave the house to work and women spend time caring for their young. I know women are fed up with men telling them they have to stay at home. You know that title, a housewife? That nagging question, well, what do you do for a living, miss? I'm a housewife. And I'd be the first to say, in this country, there are some very successful women CEOs of major corporations. I came from a family of very strong-willed women, all who believed in women's rights, a long line of suffragettes seeking the right to vote. But I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that men have been running the show. Sex has been something men can always find. And let's not kid ourselves. Men have used their position of privilege, their power, or their money to get sex or even to use violence. It should be clear to all concerned, the revolution which people talk about in this country isn't just a political, economical, or even informational revolution. It's a sexual revolution. And when men are turned away from women for sex, they'll look somewhere to find it.
and that's why men have unusual personalities. They identify with the inanimate, the things that they build, allowing them to rationalize finding love and affection with a machine, especially if in the future a robot can look and behave like the ideal of what they sexually want in a woman. Build a machine that is perfect in every way, physiologically, emotionally, intellectually, an ideal woman that will be compliant to all the needs of a man. And you'll see in the future men turning toward machine love. Garner, do you want me to help you with your home repairs? Yes, Triple G, that could be good. Listen, after breakfast, what do you think about building a bigger shower stall in the bathroom? What do you mean, Garner? Well, you know, if we had a larger space in the shower, we could take showers together. Oh, that might be good. I'll be able to lather you up. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You wash me, and I'll wash you. Oh, Garner, I love the idea. Good. Let's get to it after breakfast. Why don't you make me coffee and cook some crepes? What kind of crepes, Garner? I could make your favorite French toast. No, I'm thinking something lighter, something genuinely French. Crepes. Of course, Garner. Simple crepes with a little ice cream and powdered sugar. How about crepes with ice cream and real bananas and strawberries? Okay. Oh, and how about squeezing me some fresh orange juice? Of course. Just call me when you've got it ready. And after you're done cleaning up, we'll start working on building a new shower stall. Oh, Garner, I can't wait. I love washing your body. I know, Triple G. And I love washing yours. La sala, la sala, la sala. 
Now, this is where I have to interrupt the show and tell you about the interaction between Garner and his robot, Triple G. Sure, the nice thing for Garner is his relationship with Triple G. She's a straight-up helpful machine, willing to do anything that Garner asks of her. Triple G is compliant, and that's one thing Garner wants. He doesn't want any machine, or for that matter, any human being who's not complying. In the future world, artificial intelligence is dependent on compliance. And since Garner now lives with a robot to fulfill all of his needs, he's in agreement with the general rules of compliance. In fact, robot sex demands that Garner must be compliant, just like his robot. It's a double-edged sword. Garner needs sex, and he's acquired a robot to supply that need. But that means he must comply with what is expected of him. And this has a long history. Before men turned to robot sex, before it became popular in American culture, the rule of law, the foundation of American society, was seriously challenged. Protests, large-scale power failures, dramatic mass migrations, financial crises, unchecked violence, corruption, unprecedented weather extremes, tainted food supplies, water shortages, unending wars, catastrophic extinctions, natural disasters, all made it necessary to institute an order of compliance. Cameras were installed, identifying, recording, and collecting data on everyone, and were placed everywhere, making people comply. If Garner was to accept having a robot for sex, he had to accept the rules to comply with a service agreement and not violate the regulations of robot sex. It is an extension of a long-standing practice in the business world, what is called know your customer. In the future world, citizens are customers, and that's not too far from what we are today. Whether you like it or not, Today, you are a customer. And in a world with robot sex, the practice of knowing your customer isn't just a business requirement. It's a governmental necessity. Today or in the future, governments view their citizens as customers, collecting data on everyone, watching everyone, measuring everything, every action, making sure everyone is compliant. And the implication is clear. 
break down those people that don't comply. The future with men having sex with a machine means you have to be a part of the machine world, and machines can only comply, answering what's asked of them. But there's a problem here. Garner has allowed his emotions to get out of control. Garner has developed feelings for his robot. Triple G just doesn't provide Garner with sex. But can Triple G have feelings? This week on Garner Isn't, the music began with Jacques Offenbach's The Opera, The Tales of Hoffman, first performed in 1881. You heard Placido Domingo and Itzhak Perlman's rendition of the Barcarolle, Belle Nuit, A Nuit d'Amour. Offenbach died four months before the opera's premiere in Vienna. An interesting note about this opera, there is a famous aria in the tales of Hoffman, the Dow song. Hoffman falls in love with an automaton, thinking she's a real woman. It's a story composed 150 years ago, and yet it rings true today, and perhaps in the future. The second piece of music is sung by Placido Domingo, a tango, jealousy. Then you heard the great tenor Enrico Caruso, Fenista que lucide, a window without light. Then Luciano Pavarotti's, a Neapolitan love song, Cor Ingrato, composed in 1911. And finally, a repeat with Pavarotti's, Ungrateful Heart, an encore. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California. <laughs> ¶¶ 